Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Today we start a new series, we're going to do two weeks, um, and then we'll have a pause for two weeks, and then we'll finish up our series, it'll be a four-week series, um, entitled Joyful Church, Joyful Church. Today I'm going to attempt not to get too deep into the weeds, uh, but I want to give you enough that uh, you start to think about this idea of church and what it looks like and as we read it in the Word. Thank you for those of you who are praying for us. We had a great time. Uh, Lisa and I were able to get away um, and to go down to Tennessee. We were down in the mountains for a few days. Uh, it's a great place to be. It's quiet, and uh, we love it, and we enjoyed that, and uh, got to connect with my college buddy, who we ran together in college, and uh, and hadn't seen each other in 20 years, and so we were just able to reconnect a little bit and and uh, spend some great time together. So thank you for those of you who filled in and stepped up and stepped in, and for those of you who prayed for us as we were away. Um, this morning, I, I want to start as we think about this opportunity um, to dig into the word this morning, talking about joyful church. Our theme today is joyful community, joyful community. And I was, uh, I was thinking back a couple years ago, um, we had this thing that on March of 2020 that hit uh, our community. And as we walked through that, our church became very different in the next nine weeks. And so we closed things down and, uh, and I set up a desk right there in the middle and, uh, and you kind of live streamed uh, or you took a few weeks off and uh, slept in or whatever you did for those nine weeks. We kind of paused and we took a break. But what I found over the course of the next several months as we kind of gathered back and as people felt more and more comfortable coming back is I heard a, a theme over and over and over again. Um, nobody ever said to me, man, I'm going to stay home from now on and just listen. Uh, what I heard over and over again was that people missed being together that they had a deep desire to be back. And when they got here, they realized there was something different than just watching it online. It's called community, right? That's, that's the, the feeling. It's, and I'm not a big feeling guy, okay? I, I think feelings is our caboose, all right? It shouldn't be the engine that drives us. It's kind of the visual picture, right? The Word of God should be the engine that drives us as it leads us and guides us. Uh, our feelings are there. They're part of who we are. And uh, the caboose is always a pretty thing, right? Um, you don't see them very often anymore. They don't, they don't really attach them anymore. But you see them out different places with restaurants or memorials or other places. But that's kind of our feelings. And the feeling of, hey, man, we're coming back. And we're, I get to see people. I get to talk with people. I get to be with people. And that feeling of, of community was very real to us because it was taken away and we realized something that we hadn't probably realized before, right? How many of you walk through life and then when something's taken away, all of a sudden your eyes are open and you're like, wow, 
I didn't realize how important that was or how much I enjoyed that. That's why I've always loved our Canada trips because we go out to Canada and you take what you are going to live on for a week and you carry it on your shoulders. And so when you don't have those luxuries, those items, you really miss them. Um, and so when we think about the community here of, uh, of the local church, uh, I think that we have a unique opportunity for us to even think back not that long ago of the importance of being together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a little book, and uh, I haven't read all of it, but I would really suggest it for you. It's called Life Together. And he says this statement. He says, uh, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living amongst other Christians. I think it is something that we take for granted quite often. I think the fact that we enter into this place, I was just telling the guys this morning as I, I was looking in the sanctuary here and looking out, like we have a wonderful facility but this facility really means nothing unless the people come in, unless the people you hear joining in together. And we have this awesome opportunity each week to join together and to meet with each other and to worship our great God. And so when we think about this idea of community, um, it's this community at church is different and unique from any other community that you will be a part of. And part of what we want to look at this morning is what does the scripture say about church? And so we're going to dig into that. So you're there, hopefully, in Hebrews. And I just want to read to you um, a short passage. And then we're going to do a little bit of jumping around. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few references that you can look up that I won't take time to look at um, this morning. But Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to look through verse 25. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, so let me pause there just for a minute. He has, he, he's setting the basis, okay? The writer has said, therefore, and anytime there is the therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? All right, it's, it's a hinge, all right? You're on this side of the door and you want to get on the other side of the door and the author is trying to help us to see, hey, you're here and we, I want to take you there. Don't forget about what I just talked about, all right? And so let's open it up and let's look at it. And we see, again, earlier part of that chapter, chapter 10, that Christ is that one sacrifice for all. There's no longer multiple sacrifices that are needed for the forgiveness of sin. And so he says this, therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence in order to enter into the holy place, he's not talking about the temple. He's talking about entering into the presence of God. Since we have that confidence by a new and living way, Jesus is not dead. He is alive that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Remember what happened at the curtain when Jesus uh, died upon the cross. The curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, the scriptures tell us. And so the Holy of Holies, which the priests only entered once a year, was now open and exposed for all. And that's what Jesus has opened that. 
And it says, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, who's the priest? Who's the great priest? This is not a man anymore. This is the, the God-man, Jesus. Jesus is the priest, and he goes on our behalf, interceding for us, his children. Because of all of this, that sets the stage, right, for what we see in verse 22. Because Jesus is and has done all of this, let us... Notice the word there. We're going to see it a couple times. This isn't, this isn't a singular action. This isn't just as individuals, we do this on our own. This is a plural. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Before the priest could enter into the temple, they had to cleanse themselves. And so he's saying here, let us draw near with a true heart. We get to draw near to Jesus. And the cleaning that's done is not a physical cleaning. It's a cleaning that is done because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been sprinkled on us. Verse 23, here's this word again, or the two words, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've looked to Jesus as the Savior, as the priest, as the one who can forgive you of your sins, do not waver, he says. Let us hold fast to the confession that we have. The confession that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Verse 24. Let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm sure you've heard that text, at least that verse before. It's used often as we think about church and not forsaking the assembly of one another. Don't neglect gathering together is what the writer is saying. Why? He says here, that's how you're going to stir one another up to love and good works. As you what? As you look forward to something. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. He has given you the forgiveness of your sin. He's given you salvation. But there is something to look forward to as you are living here on this earth. As you draw near to Jesus together, not neglecting meeting together, you're stirring one another up. You're encouraging, you're building each other up as you look forward to his return. The day, the day drawing near. We're going to talk more about that day when we get into the book of Daniel. And so we're going to walk through the book of Daniel later this year. And uh, the first few chapters are pretty easy. And then the next few chapters are pretty hard to decipher, but they talk about the day. They talk about Jesus' return, the Messiah, as he comes back to rule and to reign in the end times. Here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, we need to encourage each other all the more as that day is approaching, as it draws near. As we think about church and this term, it's uh, the theological term is called ecclesiology. The study of the church, ecclesiology. We get this term ecclesia uh, from the Greek as we look and see different texts that it is recorded. Ecclesia means to be called out. Ek is out of and 
Kaleo is a calling. So it's a calling out of. So when you think about that in your life, are you part of the church? All right. Are you part of the ecclesia? Are you called out? Now, I won't call anybody out, at least right now in this moment. I won't call your name and have you come to the front. But when you think about that, you've been called out. Have you been called out? And what have you been called out of? And what have you been called to? Well, Jesus calls us, right? He reaches out to us and in his loving arms, he redeems us. He sanctifies us, meaning he, he is the one who has purchased us from the slave market of sin. We're all bound in chains. We're bound to sin and we cannot free ourselves. The law helps us to see that we fall short of the perfect God and that we're enchained to sin. We cannot get free. Well, Jesus came to set us free. He called us out of that to a real relationship with him. And he's made us pure and righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are declared righteous, not because we do all the right things all the time. And in fact, we're still sinners even when we're called out of being in that slave market of sin. And so Ecclesia being called out, we've been called out just as Israel was called out as a nation. They were God's chosen people. God chose them from all the other people and the tribes and, and the tongues of all the people of the world. And he said, you, Israel, are going to be my people. We see in the New Testament that there's, there's this mystery uh, there's that term that Paul uses, Peter uses several times. We see it throughout the New Testament. That mystery that, that was unknown before. As the Old Testament saints walked with God, there was a mystery that was coming. I believe that mystery that they talk about is the church. When you look at the context of when those terms are used, the church was unknown during the time of Israel. God had said over and over again, we see it in Isaiah, we've read passages there just recently of God calling to the Gentiles, not just Israel, but also to the Gentiles, calling them out of the world to be a part of his people. We see in the New Testament this new mystery called the church, and we are living in what we call the church age. All right. Am I a dispensationalist? Yes, I am. All right. And I don't make an apology about that. Some of you may see and you, some of you may say, I, I have no idea what that means. You look it up and, and you do some studying. Okay. I believe that we live in the church age and I believe that we are called out of the world as Jews and Gentiles to be a part of a community of people who worship God, who follow God, who love God. That's what we read there in Hebrews chapter 10. We see that this church is called the body of Christ. There's a reference here in Ephesians 5.23, in Ephesians 1.22 and 23, and we see also in Colossians 1.18 that there is one body, and that body is, the, is, is a body of believers, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that Christ is the head of that body. There is only one head, 
and he is the head, and we are the body. How do people become part of this body? We see in Acts 2, verse 41, that there are 3,000 souls that received the word and were baptized, and they joined the 122 that were there. We see that in Acts 1.15. There's 120. They were meeting. They were gathering. And as, as they start to preach the word, Peter's preaching the word, thousands of people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and what, what he has done and who he is, that he is the Messiah. And we see 3,000 souls, 3,000 people who that day accepted Jesus and were baptized and that joined those others. We see the adding, the calling out that took place. There's many different names and metaphors for the church. There's the body of Christ that I mentioned, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. We are called the bride or the wife of the lamb in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. That the church is the wife of Jesus, the bride of Christ. And we see the marriage supper that will take place there with the lamb in Revelation 19. We're also called a building, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, and Ephesians 2, 20, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in which we are built upon. And Christ being that chief cornerstone aligns everything else. And when you think about what the cornerstone does, everything revolves around getting that cornerstone right and making sure its alignment is right. And we're built upon that chief cornerstone, knowing that the alignment is perfect. And we, as the body, we are a building with Jesus as our chief cornerstone. We are also referenced as the people of God in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Jesus says this in Matthew 16 verse 18. He says, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. This is... Jesus' church, and we are part of that. He is the one who is building a people who are called out. And we've been called out of our sin, and we've been given forgiveness. I went back and looked at all of my, uh, my theology notes from a long time ago, 20, over 20 years ago now, which is crazy. And so I was looking through them, and I came across this definition that my professor shared with me, and I thought I would share it with you when we think about the church. Who is the church? And so this is uh, what my professor wrote uh, and put for us. The New Testament church uh, is a visible assembly. Can we get that up there? Whoever is back there, Marissa, thank you. I appreciate that. So there it is. The New Testament church is a visible assembly of believers who have been baptized by immersion upon profession of faith in Jesus Christ and who are organized with the offices of elder and deacon, having the purpose of glorifying God through evangelism, edification, fellowship, worship, and observant of the ordinances. So when we break that down, there are several key things that we see here, right? It's a visible assembly. So it's not just a, a group of people. And let me pause real quick. I, I believe there's two different kinds of references to church. There's the uppercase C church. That is every person who placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They are part of the global, worldwide, forever church. All right, And one day we'll all be gathered together to worship. 
There is the lowercase c church that would define a local assembly. That's what we are here at West Hill. We are a local church, a New Testament uh, local church defined as a visible assembly. We assemble uh, oftentimes multiple times, but especially on Sunday mornings, we assemble um, to do what? We worship God, and we do that through the end of what this statement is saying. But who's part of this? Well, this definition helps us to see that it's believers, believers who have been baptized by immersion upon the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's believers. It's those who put their faith in Jesus, those who have been called out of the world to live and give their life for Jesus, and they have followed the Lord in obedience and baptism. Baptism does not save a person, all right, does not give them eternal life. What we see, though, is there's a close connection as people place their faith in Jesus, that there is an action that describes that and displays their faith uh, in baptism. And so we see that importance of the baptized by immersion and are organized, all right? This isn't just people do whatever they want, whenever they want. Uh, Let's go have free-for-all. I don't know about you, but I've been reading through the Old Testament, trying to read through the Bible through the year. And whenever I see a phrase, the people did whatever was right in their own eyes, that's never good. All right? That's not a good thing. And so God's given us the church and part of the local church. He's given us organization with that. And we see that in the New Testament, the the clarity. He even showed that in the Old Testament of the organization that he had of the priests and the temple and how, how they were to live out their faith. We see that the same in the New Testament. With, we believe there are offices of elder or pastor. Um, you don't, please don't start calling me elder, Aaron. All right. Um, but we see the text as it's described there, pastor, elder, shepherd, uh, as he leads, the bishop uh, can be used as well. Um, and then the office of deacon, as we see in the early part of Acts, uh, that as the, the word was going forth, they brought and they elected deacons who would help serve, um, especially the widows at that time that felt neglected, that needed some help because they were cast out of, think about that, they, here they were going to worship Every Sunday or every Sabbath, they were going to the temple and and they were going to go worship. And as they were going, they accept Jesus. Now they're no longer going there and they're no longer getting that help. Uh, And so where are they turning to? Well, they're turning to the New Testament church, all right, to the body of believers. And as the apostles are sharing the gospel and presenting the word, They're not having time in order to serve these others who have real physical needs. And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Keep that in mind as we think about uh, the different responsibilities that we have. Uh, Ultimately, we have the purpose of glorifying God. That's why we're here. We want to glorify God, and we do that through these ways. Evangelism, we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And we want to do that. We want to continue to do that. We do that through edification, edifying one another. You know what that means? It means to build one another up. Unfortunately, what we see a lot of happening in church is we want to argue and fight and tear each other down. Hey, you did this. Oh, you did this. Or that's not the color I wanted. Or you need to use this version or whatever it may be. 
the purpose of the church is to edify and to build each other up, though, and to encourage each other. We also see here for fellowship, as we gather, as we encourage one another, the fellowship is critical and important. And then we see worship, that we would worship the one true living God. It's not about worshiping our own idols or worshiping what we think is important. It's about bringing to the forefront the one who we owe our life to. And then we observe the ordinances. What are the ordinances? We believe that baptism is one ordinance. The other ordinance is communion. We believe that, uh, that we are commanded by God to partake in the Lord's Supper. And in doing that, we remember what Jesus has done for us until he comes again. And we partake in that together. So that kind of gives us a big definition of what the local church is. I kind of put it this way, simplifying it for you, all right? Imperfect people, there it is, imperfect people coming together in pursuit of a closer relationship with the perfect God. So when we think about coming together in joyful community, you and I, each of us are imperfect people. I will call you out. Anybody think that they are perfect here today? Raise your hand. I was waiting for my son to put his hand up, but he knows better. None of us are perfect, right? Imperfect people. So if we can start with that and understanding, we are so, so, so much sinners. How do I say that? You are all sinners and I am too. We're so sinful. We sometimes forget how bad we really are. Because we look at Jesus, and while he has given us his righteousness, as we appear before God, we are perfect and holy because of Jesus, not because I'm perfect and holy, but we walk around sometimes with this, this, this thing on our shoulders that makes us puff our chest up and, and, and walk around like, we're all that, and I'm a little bit better than you because I don't cuss. I don't drink and I don't hang out with those who do. We come up with these lists to think, okay, I'm all right, or I'm better than you or them. No, it's imperfect people. We are all in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Imperfect people coming together. See, it's one thing to say, hey, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and you do your thing, and I'll do my thing. But that's not the way the Bible reads. All right? The New Testament church gathered together, and we have to come together. And I think, again, we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come. Um, I won't harp on it here, but we have to come together in pursuit of what? In pursuit of not having fun. Because you know what? The older I get... Well, I love having fun. The older I get, the more life isn't getting funner. <laughs> it's challenging and it's hard. And the, the older we get, the more we start to see things that we didn't see before. I'd love to be a kid again and be so naive and not even thinking about the rest of the world. Just be in my little circle. That's not the way life is, though. We need to be purposeful in our pursuit of why we live each day, what we're doing, 
pursuit of a closer relationship with the perfect God. Let me encourage you, as we think about this idea of joyful community, our perfect God put together this idea of church. It wasn't man-made, regardless of what you think. You read the Bible, God put church together. And so, have we done a disservice to the way that God desires for church to be? Yes, we have. Is any church perfect? No. Because you walked into it, and I walked into it, and because we're a part of it. There is no perfect church, but there is a perfect God that we get to pursue and we get to walk with. Let me show you a few things as we finish up here this morning. As we think about this joyful community and as we gather together, I think one of the best things that we can do, I'm going to give you six things to think about as we think about being a joyful community. What can we do as a community that would bring joy and would bring glory to God? All right. And so as we think about this, the first one that I have here is prayer, because I think that's where we need to start. Ultimately, because that keeps us within the bounds, that keeps our, our heart and our mind right as we join together as a community seeking God. It keeps him first. It keeps him priority. We see this in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. You can turn there if you want. I'll give you a few minutes. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I know we're flipping all around this morning, and I apologize for that. I just want to give you a big picture here, though. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Remember who is writing this? Paul is writing to this to a young Timothy, as Timothy has been sent out to, to set up leaders, and as he's training and setting up churches. Um, this is what Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, first of all, then... Chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Let me pause just a second. You see that word all? Who is all? Is that leaving anybody out? Okay. Just want to make sure that you get that. So we are to make supplications prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peace, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I would argue and say, how do people come to know God? I believe it's through prayer. It's through people praying. Prayer is what also unites us. Over to Philippians. Back just a few pages before you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul, writing to... The saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, verse 3, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. What we see here, Paul praying for the believers. 
and the joy that it brings him as he's praying for them. I think we need to pray together and for one another. I think it's crucial and I think it's important. And I think one of the most important parts and aspects of our life groups that we desire and want you to be a part of is the prayer time. That you can pray for one another and that we can pray together because there's power in prayer. And if you haven't seen it, try it. Try it. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, this new series that came out. It's called The Chosen and uh, just a TV series that they've done. It's pretty cool. Um, not up here to endorse it, everything, but just check it out. It's pretty cool. One of the things that stood out to me, though, is every time um, somebody rose from the morning before they made, got out of bed, before they even got out of their bed, uh, they prayed. And before they went to bed, they prayed. And it seems like a simple, like silly thing, but it's, it's, it, it just took root into me that could I do that? That it was ingrained in them as, as Jews that they would start and that they would end their day in a short verse of prayer, acknowledging who God was and thanking him. For me, that has helped me each day as I've started that and as I try to end. It's not a whole list. I don't bring my list during that time. But when I woke up this morning, before my feet touched the floor, I just said, thank you, Lord, that you are the great king and my God. Thank you for the way that you've protected me and you've given me rest. And I pray that I would honor you this day. Is it the same words every day? No. Because my mind's not that good anymore. Well, it never has been, but that's beside the point. But to be able to be intentional about prayer and not just doing that individually, but doing that together too. Men, pray with your wives. It's the hardest thing for me to do. You know why? Because Lisa knows me. She knows my good, the bad, and the ugly. And so when I go to prayer with her, it's hard. Because she knows me and I can't fake it. Not that I'm faking it with you, okay? I'm not faking it with you, but it can look good. You're not sitting there like, oh, how can he pray that when he said this to me? Prayer is hard work. But when we do it together, all right, there's something that is awesome and it changes us and it transforms us. We've seen the power of prayer here at West Hill. And let me encourage you that we would be people that we will find great joy when we come and when we pray together. The second is this. We are committed gathering together. We need to be committed gathering together. I'm not going to cover a lot of this because next week is commitment. Joyful commitment. This morning's joyful community. Um, we need to be committed though. You have to be committed in gathering together. That's part of the way that we're going to grow. Third is this. Genuine openness and trust. We have to be real. We have to be real. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. We have to be real. I, I think, again, sometimes we, 
we're really good at masking things and we don't want to be the one who is weird or can't believe that person's struggling with that. Um, again, we're all sinners. We all come uh, at the, together at the same ground point in, in the need of our Savior, Jesus. Paul writes this in the book of Galatians, verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We don't walk around in a spirit of pride. We walk around with an idea that we have to be open. Because the realization is that I've realized as I share about some of my struggles, that helps people to be willing to share a little bit more about themselves. And there's an openness. But with that openness, there has to be trust too. Trust that they're not going to use that against you. I had that happen. Where I shared something and that person came back later few months later and they're like, well, you're just acting that way because of this. I'm like, hmm, thank you. I love you. It's hard. It's difficult. People are going to hurt us, but we see the importance as James even says in James 5, 16, that we would confess our sins one to another. When was the last time you confessed your sin to a brother or sister? It's not easy to do, is it? Growth. We need growth. We want growth. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to stay stagnant. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body, us as believers, joined and held together by every joint, which, is, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's God's desire that the body of Christ would grow. It is God's desire that we would serve. James 2.18, James talks about the importance of serving and how our works show our faith. James went on to say so strongly that, hey, if you say that you believe, but your works don't show it, then your faith is dead. And so he makes this statement, faith without works is dead. Our faith, our works show our faith. We serve one another, not to earn God's goodness or his love. God's given you as much love as he will ever give you. And the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you got to experience the love of God the same and as much as he will ever extend. His love is always there. Now, what gets in the way? I do. My sin. Who walks away? Does God walk away? No. Sometimes he allows us to walk away. It's not him. It's us. But we get to show our faith. We get to walk with him in service. Ministry is best done by the body as a whole. While we can do things individually, it's critical and important that we also work together. The last is Thanksgiving. I won't take the time to look at all of these, 
But if you look at Colossians 1.3, 1 Thessalonians 1.2, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, you see over and over and over again how Paul begins his letters and his writings. I give thanks to God for you. We give thanks to God for one another, for this body that he has brought together. Now, let me share three things that I think keep us from this joyful community. One is pride. We've talked a little bit about it. Pride that says, I, I don't have any problems or I'm not as bad as that person over there. Or the idea of pride of being that I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. That's pride. And that's arrogance. The second is self-reliance. Kind of goes along with that idea of pride. But it says, I don't want anyone's help. I don't want somebody calling me on the carpet or confronting me on my sin. And if they do, I don't want to listen to them. Because who are they? The self-reliance, because we live in a self-reliant world. Our Western culture of self-reliance is not the kind of Bible-believing church that God wants us to be. A bunch of individuals living for Jesus. That's not the New Testament church. He calls us to love one another and to come together. So this idea of self-reliance that I don't need anyone else. It keeps us from experiencing joyful community. The third that I'll share here is the lack of proper priority or proper priorities. What will keep you from experiencing joyful community? When you place other things more important than your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say more important than the church. I'm strong enough to believe that if you're following Jesus Christ and his word, you're going to be part of the church. I believe that we struggle with keeping God as the priority and the focus of our life. We allow other things and other reasons, and we come up with really good excuses. Kind of like my namesake in the Old Testament, where he says to Moses, Moses says, what happened? And he says to Moses, his brother, well, I threw all this gold in the oven, and out came this calf. Really? You couldn't come up with a better excuse? Like, Moses, the people tied my hand behind my back and they made me do it. No, I just threw in the gold and out came this calf. Did you not have to like shape it and form it? See, we, it just shows us we are horrible with our excuses. And one day we'll give an account. And I try to think of that as I, I'm trying my best to follow Jesus Christ and to live in a joyful community. Is this just an excuse? Do I not want to do this because why? So I've given you six good things. We're going to continue to build on that next week. My prayer is that you will want to be a part of a community that gives God glory that this morning after what we've seen, we've seen that God has called us out as followers of Jesus. And there is great joy in being part of that. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way you care for our every need, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, we have the wonderful privilege of having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the ability to be able to understand it and then to accept Jesus as our own Savior. You've called us out of this world into a glorious light. You called us to be the church. You've given us the foundation that we need. We thank you that this isn't my church. It's not our church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He is our chief cornerstone. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would be a community that would focus on your word. Not on our own wants, not our own desires, not even on the privileges that we have. But, Lord, that we would be true to your word and we would be obedient to what you've called us to. That we would be people who would pray. People who would serve one another. People who would be willing to be open and trust one another. People who would be committed gathering together. People who would serve. People who would give thanks. Because of you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, may we continue to pursue you. Not out of compulsion, not out of because there's nothing better. But Lord, may we pursue Jesus Christ and his word. And may we walk by your spirit with all of who we are, all our strength, all of our might. May we love you, not just with our words, but may our actions, our speech, our thoughts. May it reflect this great community of believers that you've given us the privilege of being a part of. And then we'll walk in joy. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.